We know exactly what our guest was doing for 254 of the 365 days in the year that made her. Because 2022 was the year that Bonnie Hancock became the fastest and youngest person to paddle around Australia. She spent 16 to 18 hours a day in her carbon fibre surf ski, covering 12,700 kilometres in 254 days. Only five other people have circumnavigated Australia on an ocean surf ski. Bonnie's memoir, The Girl Who Touched the Stars, is out now and it tells the whole story of the adventure, including encounters with sharks, crocodiles and what it's like to paddle solo in freezing dark waters 500 kilometres out to sea. Bonnie Hancock, welcome to The Year That Made Me. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be on here, and I must say, from dry land as well. It's great to be to yes, be indeed <laughs> with, with dry hair and and not you know that that salt on my skin, which I had for that whole year. Yeah, indeed. And funnily enough, Bonnie, the path to your record-breaking ultra endurance feat actually started in a library and during COVID restrictions. Could you tell us about that? It sure did. I really clearly remember the day I picked up the book that inspired this whole journey. It was uh, mid-2020, you know, it was COVID uh, lockdowns with, you know, cafes were still closed, open for takeaway. I was, you know, desperately Mm. searching for toilet paper at the supermarket. (laughs) And, um, you know, I remember the library had just opened and I picked up three books that day. And in that pile was a book called Fearless. It was about Freya Hofmeister. She is a German woman who actually she broke the record of those set prior to her and paddled the whole way around Australia on her ski. And from about a chapter in, I just had this feeling like it was almost a calling, I guess, something I had to do, not only wanted to do, but something I had to do for me. And it started with the very selfish reason of wanting to break a world record. And, um, you know, I ended up raising money for charity and basically having a whole community of people following the journey. So I grew a lot in that time. And and you write, Bonnie, that you you felt ready to take on this massive challenge. You say because of all the mistakes I'd made, both as an athlete and in my personal life. Now, we all make mistakes, Bonnie, but we don't all circumnavigate Australia. Um, Could you talk a little about what you'd learned from those early experiences and how you think they maybe channeled you to taking on the massive challenge? Certainly. And, you know, that's what I, when I teach the young nippers, I'm a nipper coach now, I try to really pass that message on to them that it's okay to make mistakes. It's, it's beautiful to make mistakes because you learn something, you learn about yourself, you learn about the world around you, you learn about others. And throughout my Ironwoman career, I was a professional Ironwoman for the better part of a decade. I so many times was winning a race and for whatever reason, I would either, you know, in that we use the ocean, we use rips, we use currents, we use waves, and I would either run in the wrong spot or, you know, not use a rip that was there. Or for whatever reason, I, I, so many races I was winning and didn't end up with that big win I'd always wanted. And in, in this paddle, I think that, that drive to sort of succeed was, you know, a driving factor in actually starting. But throughout the way I realized when I got that record and I knew we were going to break that record from a couple of months in, we were well ahead of it. And if COVID didn't get in the way, I was able to hold these kilometers necessary. But the gold medal, the record I'd always wanted wasn't the most valuable thing I took from this paddle. It was everything I learned about myself along the way. So in my book, The Girl Who Touched the Stars, it refers to touching those stars and 
finally getting that big win. And once I got there, I realized that that thing that I'd always been chasing wasn't wasn't the thing that was the most valuable from this trip. You mentioned your career as an Iron Woman. Tell us a little bit about your early life, how you got into uh, these extreme pursuits. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely never grew up wanting to be an ultra endurance athlete. I I loved Guinness World Records and I remember asking mum to buy me that book every single year and pouring over the pages and seeing people with the longest toenails and all these sorts of different (laughs) records. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't until I picked up that book that I ever even sort of dabbled in the ultra endurance space. As an Iron Woman, you're a you're a sprint athlete, you're a power athlete. Um, you know, our races are probably a maximum of ten or so minutes, so it's a very very different. Um, you know, feel to what I went into at the furthest I'd actually paddled was 50 kilometers prior to this, um, this journey. And, you know, on the first day of setting out from the Gold Coast and, and turning right and heading south, I did 73 kilometers. And, uh, from a week in, I was doing 110 kilometers a day that soon racked up to 130, 140 kilometers. And, you know, I, I talk about that lightly, but that's me on the back deck of the catamaran, sprawled out, unable to move, unable to talk, and my crew having to, you know, wrap me in a space blanket down in the freezing waters of Victoria, having to pour freezing water over me up north in the Northern Territory where it gets so hot and it's 40-something degrees and 32 degrees in the water. And, you know, I, I always say that to some degree, a sense of naivety sort of protected me on this paddle because I had no idea what was coming. And our coastline is beautiful and it's amazing, but it is harsh and rugged. And, mm. you know, Mother Nature provided as much of a challenge as anything else. And and certainly our wildlife as well. Uh, I did have shark and croc encounters and <laughs> I, I, I knew paddling about 100 kilometres out to sea that would happen. And, um, you know, at my furthest point, I was 500 kilometres out. So it's it changes out there. The water's very scary. Yeah, so sharks, crocodiles and uh, whale as well. Absolutely. Coming back down the East Coast, uh, I was on the home stretch and it was actually humpback whale season. They migrate up north that time of the year and, you know, it was sort of June, July and then August coming down that coast and I got within touching distance of these whales, you know, the the boats, our catamaran isn't allowed too close to them. They would sail off and I would I would float there and these whales would actually come up to me. The the little calves are known for being very inquisitive and you've got to be careful because they come very close and they often have their mum with them. And I would just sit there and look down at these beautiful, majestic creatures and and just take it all in and and sometimes it just felt so surreal but it was like a reward for all the things we'd been through, the ups and the downs and the ugly, and um, I sort of needed that. It was it was a beautiful part of the journey. We're speaking with Bonnie Hancock on The Year That Made Me. Bonnie's memoir is called The Girl Who Touched the Stars. And, Bonnie, you talked about how you were inspired by the book about Freya Hofmeister's record, and you managed to beat that record by quite some way uh, through choosing a very, very challenging route. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So prior to um, my journey, no one had ever cut directly across the Great Australian Bight, so that 
notorious stretch of water at the bottom of Australia. Um, you know, the the couple of paddlers had actually hugged the coastline, which is the the smart and very logical thing to probably do. <laughs> but um, in cutting straight across, so from point to point, South Australia to Western Australia, I would say the thousand kilometres. So I made that choice. I made that choice in in looking at the globe when I first conceived this idea to to do this crazy expedition and I made the very clear choice that I was going to cut across that bite but to do so I would need to go 500 kilometers out to sea and it's um you know it's 40 kilometers when you stand on the sand and look out to the horizon so 40 kilometers you can see to the horizon I was 500 kilometers out to sea mm. so that's no land in sight for two weeks it's out of helicopter range and it's just you and your crew that crew of five and those waters are known for great white sharks and killer whales um you know, there's actually a um, – they've found recently that the pilot whales in those waters actually whisper to their calves so the killer whales can't hear them. And, you know, mm. they're both, both creatures are, are, are pretty deadly. And um, for that two weeks, it was absolutely terrifying. The water's dark out there. You can't really see your hand underneath it. And it was so quiet too. That's what I noticed, how quiet it was. And there was albatross and mutton birds out there that would follow me all day. But other than that, I wouldn't see anything. And often the water was quite glassy. So sometimes the quiet is scarier than anything. Yeah, that's a really amazing image. But as you've mentioned, one thing that really comes through in the book is that even though you're paddling solo, it really is a team effort for you to have your solo adventure. If we zoom back a little bit from an image of you paddling alone in the deep ocean, what would we find in terms of equipment and people? Absolutely. So basically when I set out for this journey, I, I knew that I couldn't do 12,700 kilometres of coastline on my own. It's just... Fair enough. You know, it's absolutely asking for trouble. There's crocodile infested waters for... Basically the crocodiles inhabit a third of our coastline from Broome all the way to uh, North Queensland. I, I didn't realise there was so much uh, water that is actually inhabited by crocodiles. So the first piece of the puzzle was getting a catamaran and um you know it's not it's not easy getting a skipper or asking a skipper to come along for the journey and and to you know cut directly across the bite and put themselves in and and me and their crew in that really dangerous situation so I found a skipper and a crew who were willing to take me across to Western Australia on a 38 foot catamaran and I can tell you it's very hard for both the skipper and myself to find a speed where we can match each other in the huge winds <laughs> and that was a logistical challenge challenge in itself. Uh, we knew we wanted a jet ski. We wanted a jet ski. So when, uh, you know, it came to paddling a little closer to shore, like in Western Australia, uh, I could have that jet ski support because it's very expensive getting fuel for a big catamaran in the flat and into, um, into headwinds. So that was the next piece of the puzzle. And then it was finding someone to actually tow the jet ski around. And, you know, we could only raise money to get halfway around my my husband and I sold our cars. We put our life savings into this paddle and it was just a drop in the ocean of funds needed. So reaching out to sponsors mid-COVID was not ideal. I've heard, <laughs> you know, every reason why someone can't sponsor the paddle and fair enough, a lot of companies were, you know, at an all-time low in terms of profits. So 
you know, COVID, sharks, crocodiles, logistics, and, um, you know, everything was thrown at us. But my team and I got through, and I always say we, we got the record because we did. It was such a team effort. Bonnie, if I had to guess, I would probably say your best day of 2022 would have been the day in August when you completed the challenge. But what would you choose as the best day of the year that made you, 2022? There's so many parts of the journey where the beautiful and the ugly go hand in hand and, you know, the most terrifying and ugly and messy part of the trip was crossing the bite. But I'll never forget when we got to the other side, um, we touched set foot on Door Island, first point of land contact after two weeks at sea. And it was actually the the 14th of, of, of February, 2022. And I'll never, ever forget sinking my feet into that white sand and and reaching down and feeling the warmth of it in my hands and the sun had just started to set there was a beautiful moon rise and there were seals around there was dolphins and you know it felt like a moment like off castaway with tom hanks where he sort of kisses the sand and my crew and i climbed to the top of the island and i will never ever forget that day we were lucky just to have survived and uh you know, from there, I knew that nothing could break us. So February 14, 2022. What about the worst day then? Yeah, the, the worst day was midway through that bike crossing on, on day six, I'd fallen out of my ski. It was around nine degrees in the water and it takes about 12 minutes of submersion in the Great Australian Bite to get hypothermic and the catamaran was having trouble slowing down. I, I was holding onto my ski. I couldn't perform the chin-up style movement required to get back in and I just remember floating there. It was 10 minutes until they were able to get back to me and mm. that 10 minutes was absolutely terrifying. I, it, was, it was dark. It was night time. I did a lot of paddling at night simply to get the kilometres done required because Every extra day you're out there is an extra day there is for that weather to turn. So, you know, you're waiting for those big Arctic winds to come up from Antarctica. So it took them 10 minutes by the time they got back to me. They pulled me on board. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. And I was nearly hypothermic. So that was the worst day. After that, I'd lost pretty much all of my strength and I actually had to crawl around the boat and still get 100 kilometres done in a day of paddling. So, you know, as I said, that that touching foot or setting foot on Dora Island was, um, was mm-hmm. a real reward for, for everything we went through in the bite. And I suppose that really underscores just what, I mean, literal lifesavers, the crew that you were working with were. Could you speak a little bit more about, yeah, the relationship that you developed with all those people across the journey? It's not just a physical thing, is it? Oh, absolutely not. It's um, from a week in, you feel like family, you know. I'd I'd met some of these crew about a week prior to the paddle. I, I didn't actually know them uh, for a long time. <laughs> and just like every part of our, our journey that we were haphazardly trying to sort of piece this puzzle together and kind of find or, you know, you know, negotiate all these moving parts. Thankfully, my husband was there to support me in that. But, um, you know, this crew, they saved my life on multiple occasions and not just helped me physically, but that bond that you develop from taking on, as I said, crocodile infested waters together. You know, they had torches up in the Northern Territory at nighttime searching for 
crocodiles out to the side of the boat. They were sitting on the catamaran watching sharks follow me down the east coast of New South Wales. So they were keeping me safe. I call them my guardian angels. And when I would get back on that boat at the end of the day, we would talk and we would debrief and we would let our emotions out. And we learned that it's okay not to be perfect and to show the raw and the real because you've got to paddle every meter of coastline to get this record. So I was having to get back in the water in these places. They'd seen a great white shark next to me where they pulled me out because of crocodiles. And to get Mm. through that, you know, I told them, just talk to me, childhood jokes, stories, riddles, anything, just keep talking. And they got me through and they saved my life. Bonnie, one of the phrases that really struck me from your book is when you say, I earned these scars. I wonder if you could tell us about the relationship that you had with your own body through this epic paddle, not just during it as well, I suppose in the preparation too. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, as I alluded to when I was younger, I was so afraid of not being perfect and I think a lot of young people do place that pressure on themselves. Mm. I know a lot of athletes can have uh, issues with body image and and certainly um, in a sport where you're running around in swimwear, it can be an issue. And throughout this journey, the most amazing part was that it didn't matter what you looked like. It didn't matter what you saw when you looked in the mirror. It was your ability to dig deeper than you ever had before to get this record done. And I wore not a shred of makeup the whole time. And when I often looked in that mirror, what I saw back was, you know, the the physical um, shell. It was almost like a shell of my former self. I looked about 85 years old on most days. And um, when I got to the end, I remember for the first time looking in a full length mirror and seeing all of the scars on my body, you know, sitting in a ski all day, every day, it tears your skin up. The salt water is less than kind. And uh, I remember feeling so proud when I saw those scars and having a totally different relationship with my body than I'd always had. And and feeling that, you know, that imperfection was a beautiful thing. And I remembered, I, I remember so clearly thinking, this is what it's taken to get this world record. And by the time I crossed that line, I was a different person. And I knew day one setting out, I would become a different person in this paddle. You have to, to get it done. And, and I'm so glad and proud of that and, and who I've become. The physical challenge is immense. So is the mental challenge. You obviously prepared for it, but did you find yourself in places that you just hadn't expected mentally? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember uh, up in the northern uh, Queensland waters, um, you know, we had to basically get to an island before the huge winds were coming. There were 35, 40 knot winds predicted. And my skipper said to get to this island you're actually going to have to set a world record in 24 hours. The the previous record before I broke it was 150 kilometres and to get this stretch of water done, I would have to do 213 kilometres. And, you know, at first I thought that was physically impossible. I, I always joked with my crew about the 200-kilometre barrier because I just saw it as near impossible. And the furthest I could paddle throughout was about 120, 130. And... I sobbed the day before. I I felt anxious. I did not think I was capable. And 
because I let all of that emotion out to my crew and all of that worry and spoke about it. The next day, I'll never forget, like a, I went into a laser zone of focus and it was just, I had this moment of clarity and I remember thinking to myself, you can get this done. You can get this done. You're going to have to go to a place you've never been before and, and physically go to a place that had never, no one had been on a surf ski and 24 hours later, I paddled 213 kilometers to get us to safety and I remember sobbing as my my crewmate read trivia to me to get me through the last 10 kilometers and I remember them lighting up sparklers in the um in the sky to to sort of sim- symbolize that moment and you are capable of so much more than you think of if you have the right people around you and you're willing to dig deep and and to to wear those scars as well well, it's a very inspiring story, although I'll be honest, Bonnie, I don't think it's inspired me to try and take up uh, circumnavigation as a, uh, as a hobby, uh, but it really is a, an amazing trip and a great read. Uh, we always finish the year that made me by asking our guests to choose a piece of music, and I must say I might have thought that we might have been in for some rap or hip-hop because you, yeah. uh, you write about the inspirational effect of the Hilltop Hoods in your book, but I think you've gone with something else. What have you chosen for us, Bonnie? I, I sure do love the Hilltop Hoods and, um, you know, they were with me for part of the journey. But I've chosen Riptide by Vance Jory. It's one of my absolute favourite songs. But most importantly, when you're in the middle of the ocean, you can't see land. It's It can be really scary out there. You feel like you're on your own. And that song and, you know, the beautiful lyrics and, um, you know, sort of the dulcet tones, as I say, of Vance Joy, they got me through and um, it helped me It helped me get into a place I needed to be and of calm and enjoyment to grind through those often 150 kilometres in a day. So actually it was switching into um, more of that zone of relaxation and just letting my paddle, you know, trusting in my body to do what it was conditioned to do. And um, I still absolutely love that song. I'll never get enough of it. Well, let's hear Vance Joy's Riptide. Bonnie Hancock, thank you so much for joining us on The Year That Made Me. Thank you so much. I was scared of dentists and the dark. I was scared of pretty girls and starting conversations All my friends are turning green Yeah, the magician's assistant in their dream ABC RN Stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.